Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today on the show, we've got Mark and Kelly Roddenbush, who are uh, Cultivate Connection facilitators. They also run um, an organization called the Sparrow Fund. They're incredible, and you're going to love them. But today, we're going to talk about responding thoughtfully. So we're continuing on our Connecting Practice series. We're talking about um, our next connecting practice, which is Respond Thoughtfully. Uh, there are layers and layers and layers to this connecting practice as uh, I, I would say it, it is not something that is um, uh, always the easiest to do for some of us hand raised me. I like that is not always easy for me to do to respond, take the time I need to think about my response, to think about the context and the, the different factors that are factoring into why is the situation um, either frustrating or why, why are we off in our relationship in some way? Um, and so this, this kind of practice is uh, think of it as more of a filter than it is a, um, rule book, if that makes sense. And so we're going to talk all about it and all the different nuances and layers of it um, with Mark and Kelly, who you're going to love. They they again run the Sparrow Fund, which um, they have a conference coming up. If you are listening to this, um, when this drops in July of 2023, um, you can find all the information that you would want to find on the Sparrow Fund and on their upcoming conference in the show notes below. And I would say um, it, it does within you know, a day or two of registration opening, it does fill up. So if you are interested after listening to the episode in being a part of this conference with Mark and Kelly, which you definitely should, um, make sure to check out the Sparrow Fund and all I've got going on and find those registration dates so that you cannot miss the conference. So uh, without any further ado, here is Becca McKay, Mark and Kelly Roddenbush and myself talking about how to respond thoughtfully. Okay. Well, as we said earlier in the introduction, we're here today with Mark and Kelly Roddenbush and um, they are Cultivate Connection facilitators. And we're going to talk with them and with Becca McKay about um, how to respond thoughtfully. So uh, this is something that um, is a simple thought. And I think most people would hear this principle and go, well, yeah, of course you should respond. Thought we should respond without thought. Yeah. Well, then if we audit our personal lives, I think we <laughs> would probably find that a lot of times we do not uh, stop and think before we respond or kind of analyze stuff afterwards. So anyways, we're going to talk about that uh, today with them. And so um, guys, before, maybe before we get into this connecting practice, would you guys just share for people, uh, I know most probably everyone knows who you guys are um, because of your work, but would you guys just share um, who you are and about yourselves and then, and, and maybe how you got connected to Empowered to Connect? Sure. Yeah. Um, we run a nonprofit in the Philadelphia area. Um, called the Sparrow Fund, uh, with the goal of caring for foster and adopted children and their families with a very um, explicit focus on relationships, empowering relationships within families, between families. Awesome. And yeah. those are parents as well. We are. So we have four children, okay. three biological, and one we adopted from China, okay. who are 21 19, 17, and 14. So there's, I like to tell people that there were literally six weeks where we had four teenagers. Oh my and God. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we are, we can talk more offline. We are very close to that territory. Our, gotcha. our last one is, is uh, eight years. Mm, eight years. Nope. Four years behind the other one though. So we're not, we won't have that kind of gap, but we hit the race reset button way too late. I'll say that. 
<laughs> Anyways, um, why don't we do this before we start talking about the connecting practice? Becca, do you want to read it, read it out as it is written in our curriculum? Yeah, absolutely. So um, our connecting practice is respond thoughtfully. Um, And what we mean by that is we want to stay self-aware and child aware. And then we want to choose the response that meets the needs of the child, the adult and the demands of the moment. So it's going to be different whether you're dealing with school or summer vacation or dinner time. So like our responses and the demands of the moment change all the time. And as we respond thoughtfully, um, it's just that half a second of reflection. So our three core components are to practice the pause, easier said than done, um, and then to use communication thoughtfully, not just the words we say, but how we say them, how we present ourselves. And then our third one is to use the appropriate redirection. When we teach respond thoughtfully in our curriculum, um, thanks to a beautiful partnership that we have with the Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development. When we talk about the appropriate redirection, we're able to share two models from their uh, intervention called trust-based relational intervention. And we're able to talk about the ideal response and the levels of response, which are just two frameworks that can help us kind of practice using the right redirections for different situations. And so obviously it's a big concept, maybe one of our bigger connecting practice concepts. Like it's kind of huge. Thanks to Mark and Kelly for jumping into this one with us. Like, you know, just respond thoughtfully, like just easy peasy. Like, um, But it's really that uh, difference between reacting and just being able to give our, the right response or an appropriate or helpful response. Uh, guys, what is your, what is sticks out to you about this? What is your favorite part of <laughs> this uh, connecting practice? Yeah. I, I mean, the first thing that I, when I first heard the question, I, I said, I don't like this practice. Like I, <laughs> this is not, this is not one that I, I feel exceptionally, I excel at, nor do I feel like I know how to do very well. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. am a slow thinker. I'm a slow responder. Kelly's always like, all right, g- give me something. And I, I'm still <laughs> formulating. And yeah. Um, and that's not even a thoughtful response. That's just <laughs> my initial response. So even responding thoughtfully even takes more effort and time. And, um, you know, part of me is just like, there's not a whole lot I like about this practice because of how hard it is for me personally. Yeah. yeah. But in terms of like what I do like about it is, is, the idea of um, how important your whole response is, not just your words, but your, you know, your, your, your body language, your, your tone, all the different pieces like that. That's what I like about it is, is that there is a lot of intentionality behind it. Yeah. Uh, the challenge of doing it well and, you know, liking it are, are two different things. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's something that you have to grow into, but yeah. yeah. I I would I would say what I like about this practice is that it's not just about parenting. Like this isn't a practice that is exclusive to parent-child communication. This is good human communication. This is about paying attention to how people are experiencing you. And if they are receiving the message that you're intending to send. Yeah. So I, I love this practice because I think it's really more about relationships in general and like how to connect with people in your interactions that you have, whether it's like a close interaction 
like someone in your family or, or a neighbor, a friend, or like someone that you have a very uh, short-term, um, seemingly superficial interaction with, but to be aware of how they're experiencing you in that moment. That's so good. I, I do. I love that, Kelly. That the one, one thing, and I think it's happened with you guys as well. I know Becky and I talked about this, like this, uh, content you said, like it is, it is for human relationships. It is not just mm-hmm. parenting. Right. So like, um, there are certain things we, we do that, uh, uh, certain connecting practices that do lend themselves more to parent-child relationships. Mm-hmm. In general, this has been so helpful for for Elizabeth and I, like for our marriage, like just to, yeah. to analyze and kind of, and to be curious with each other and, and to have that detective hat on like, man, why did that offend one of us the way that it did? Or, or why, why are we off right now? Like what, oh, maybe it was and just giving us ways to think about that um, and those interactions. And so I, th- I, I love that you said that um, and, and teaching our kids, modeling this for our kids shows them how to then navigate mm-hmm. uh, relationships as they move through the world and grow and learn and all that. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. Um, you know, when, when we, yeah, go ahead. I think my favorite thing about this one is that because it's it's all about you just said it, Kelly, it's about how someone's experiencing us. Mm-hmm. So I love that it takes away kind of like the equation of it all. So what do I mean by that? Um, there's not like when a child hits or when a spouse mm-hmm. yells, you should blank. And I think people want that so badly. But what I love about this practice is that it's reminding us like it's about measuring and mod modulating or moderating mm-hmm. like like it's about being with another person and mm-hmm. letting them bring themselves to the table and you bring yourself to the table. So I just feel like it gives a lot of like freedom because it's not like a hey, when someone's yelling at you, you should blank. It's like, hey, in your marriage, how can you respond thoughtfully knowing what you know about your spouse, knowing what you bring to the table? Hey, in your parenting, knowing what you know about this kid versus that kid, like even with multiple people in the same household, you can respond thoughtfully in different ways. So I just like it because I feel like it gives us permission to be flexible and to like actually respond to the people in our lives in ways that are helpful. Like you said, that we want to have good, we have good intentions, but sometimes our impact isn't going quite the way that we want it to. Right. I think Becca, that's, <laughs> it's interesting to me that you bring that up as your favorite thing, because I think the very same thing could be what people really struggle with about it. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it does give us freedom. It's not a math equation. And yet like, we really like manuals. <laughs> like, you know, I, I like being, yeah. I like knowing what to do. And yeah. this, pr- this practice is not that way. It is not a black and white issue. It, it requires like intentionality and awareness. That's not, um, not as easy, easy as maybe we think a manual would be. Yeah. You just can't coast through it by doing a couple different principles and right. You know, that, that, that's not going to equate to a, a thoughtful response. Right. Yeah. I, I do. I do love that. Uh, yeah, it is not a manual, which makes it more difficult. But what I do love is that it it doesn't let any of us off the hook when we are trying to um, communicate the wrong way. So like if we're communicating out of mm-hmm. anger and if you have a high justice bent, for example, or, or a high like, you know, things are, are right when they're right and when they're not, it's a problem, you know. It, when you say the right things and are trying to peg somebody for having done something the wrong way, like it, you're probably going to escalate and throw lots of gasoline in that fire and then say, 
I wasn't the one that da, 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 da. all I said was, and like repeat your words, but this takes all of those rules and crumples them up to say, no, we are, we are trying to communicate in love with each other. And if there's something off with us, then mm-hmm. we both have to work together to figure out what it is. And and we've got to investigate and, and give each other the individual gift of dignity and of um, the dignity of time invested to um, time and empathy and understanding and all of that. And so it's, if you're having a panic attack while listening to this, like take some deep breaths, like slow down because I, we do generally all four of us would say, we believe this to be a freeing principle, not, um, not one that paralyzes us. And so um, let's, as we kind of talk about this, let's, let's, go through some of those misconceptions or, or, or missteps. Like when we're going through this and we're, and we're getting to, to use these filters and try to figure out um, responding thoughtfully, what are some common mistakes, missteps, misconceptions that, that we find? I mean, the first one that comes to my mind is, is the, 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 the mistake of thinking that this can be practiced alone. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it is so interconnected with, many of the other connecting practices that you guys have put together. And the the first two that are immediately jump out to me is the idea of being present. Like you have to be in the room, paying attention off your phone, you know, not multitasking in whatever other way, but being present to say, okay, something just happened, whether it was a comment, it was a question, it was an outburst, it was, uh, you know, a, a conflict of some sort, you have to be present to be able to even start to respond thoughtfully. Um, the other one that jumps out to me is the, uh, the practice of being curious that if, there's no way that you can respond thoughtfully without having a bedrock of, I want to know what's going on, that what is presented to me is usually not, I can't take for face value. There's something else happening. Um, and as my kids get older, you know, it, it, all either teenagers or older, uh, the idea of being curious has taken on a new meaning for us just because they are more mature and have deeper thoughts and are experiencing things that we aren't a part of any longer. And so um, it's so important to be able to sit down and just try to understand where, where's this coming from, what's going on. And then you can say, you know, okay, let me respond in in a way yeah. that's, that it's not just, Oh, I have a couple principles. Let me just throw them at you. And that should fix your problem or conflict or your questions. Yeah. Instead, uh, you know, I don't want to presuppose, what those things are for you that have experienced things very differently, you know? And so what is it, what is driving it? And I think the misconception is that, okay, let me just, you know, it's important to practice a pause and and take a breath, but that's not, you can't, that's not, that's not all everything. That's not everything. There's so many other pieces that go with it. And so, um, Uh, That could be frustrating to hear because then there's even more work to do with it. But I think that um, that it is ultimately freeing to know, Okay, I have to build upon these things, that it's not just in isolation. Yeah. Yeah. Becca. And I think, man, you're hitting on it. And I think Kelly mentioned it, too, which is just like we want a formula. So I think mistakes or Mm -hmm. missteps might be trying to use it like a formula Mm -hmm. Um, might be trying to be like 
okay, well, they told me to be playful. So I'm going to use a sing-songy voice and tell you, and it's like really <laughs> annoying you. Like, so I think that it's easy to misapply some of the ideas that, that, you know, that you can have, like for each of the core components, there's different ways you could do it. And I think a misstep would be using the wrong, the wrong tone at the wrong time, using the wrong, you know, like uh, using the wrong redirection at the wrong time. It's just easy to do. And that's not to say, I mean, I wouldn't, none of us are perfect. None of us are ever going to be perfect. We're all learning and growing, but I think that's a common misstep. And then what Kelly said earlier, like it can be, it can be paralyzing. Um, And so whenever you come to this practice, you can just get shut down because, oh, I don't want to do the wrong thing. And so I don't know what to do. Um, And so there's a little bit of like a, oh, we have to start trying and letting it be kind of messy in the midst. Kelly, what would you add? I'm listening to you and I feel like I'm getting clarity on like even what I think might be a misconception, even as you speak, because um, I think we, we like to think in terms of right and wrong yeah, and like a very dichotomous way of thinking. And uh, I think a misconception can be that that even exists like very clearly. And when I think of responding thoughtfully it's more about like what is happening between us. It's fluid. It's, it's uh, changing. It's dynamic. And so responding thoughtfully means that you're going to have a lot of misses mm-hmm. and you're going to need to pivot. And even when you pivot, it, it means you're going to pivot again. So like, I think a misconception, you know, going along like um, with what you just said, Becca is even thinking that there is a one right way. Yeah. That yeah. you need to respond to to your child or to another human being in that moment when really it's like you, you put something out there, you're putting a bid out for connection and then you're 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 having to be aware of how they're experiencing you and then how you need to pivot so that they can better experience what you, you want them to experience. So I, I don't know. I, I think the misconception can be in that like desire to really be like, I need to do it this way. Yeah. And, and then maybe giving up if you feel like you got it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. My, my dad is engineer. And so we, we grew up a lot of times with the, there's just a very clear, like, but okay, it's still wrong. That was wrong. This, this is wrong. <laughs> like, you know, five plus three doesn't equal 10, even if you think it does and you really are convinced that it like, it just doesn't. Right. And, um, it, and if we try to approach, like that doesn't work with parenting because, um, it, there are not set, uh, contexts and algorithms that determine how each person would respond, um, that we can all understand, right. Those, those things are miles and miles and miles and miles deep. And then they mesh with the person you're communicating with to create an even longer list of what goes into each. So yeah, maybe you could say it's mathematical, but it's like nuclear physics, if that's even a thing, uh, not <laughs> all the variables, right. Um, and so I think the thing that I like to think of it as, is I, I married an interior designer. And so she definitely is a, a mix of that kind of engineer and artist. And so mm-hmm. um, she might, uh, she can't go into every single house and put the exact same 
color combinations and materials and fabrics and all that into how she's uh, in layout into, into what she's doing because every house is different. So she's got to take into account like the historical significance of the house and what, you know, what fits with that time period and what might work in that in one part of the country or another. And so like all those different factors go into what she decides to, how she decides to make something beautiful within a house, because it's also got to work for the, pe the people who live there. So she wouldn't put a bunch of um, really delicate, fine materials in our house where we have four kids and a little mini horse dog running around, like knocking everything over all the time, right? That'd be a bad use of, that would be wrong, air quotes. Mm -hmm. um, but if she takes into account the context of our house and she can then put everything in there in, in the house where it can still mm -hmm. look beautiful in the proper context and be in used in the, in the way where it's not going to be uh, constant disruption and, and mistakes. So I think what mm -hmm. we're trying to do is turn ourselves into a little bit more of an artist brain than a mathematician brain mm. in looking at things um, fluidly and taking the context into account all the time and knowing that those things are constantly moving and shaping um, so I think that, so I'll say this, that, that kind of leads me to our, our third question, right? So um, if we're thinking about this in this specific context um, in the U.S., and I'll, I'll correct myself and say in the U.S., because I was talking to Tom Jordy the other day, he's in South Africa, it's winter there, so it's not summer there, but here in the U.S. right now, it is summer, and for parents, summertime represents uh, a lot of times just a different paradigm than normal. And so you guys, obviously with um, with older kids, uh, it's it's different for you guys as well. So how how are you guys seeing yourselves using this connecting practice uh, this summer? You know, like we we have become increasingly aware of like uh, the the time component of like how long we have with our children all in our home. And we're fortunate this summer that like, we still have all four kids in our home, which is like awesome. amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, when, when they were little and we were um, striving to practice th these same things, maybe not in the same verbiage, but still trying to like practice a lot of these same principles and practices with our children, we would be, actively doing it for them. And I feel like as they have gotten older, we have like very um, intentionally, I think, pivoted that we're not only now practicing it with them, but we're also trying to look for opportunities to teach them how to practice it with others. Yeah. So I, I feel like this summer and, and even as recently as a few Few, few evenings ago, you know, with our children around, you know, sitting long at the dinner table with each other, we're trying to look for opportunities to like hold up a magnifying glass mm -hmm. and to help our children better understand how people are experiencing them. Oh, that's really, that's really good. So that they are in a better posture, I guess, as they are like emerging adults getting ready to, to leave our home, that they are in a better posture to experience all that human relationships can be for them. Um, uh, that would be kind of my vision for the summer. I don't know. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, it, it's, it's hard. Um, you know, especially with uh, schedules are kind of crazy. Like you, know, you have no idea who's going to be at dinner and yeah, <laughs> that's running true. around. And, that's true. Um, but it is, it, yeah, that we do feel an intensity around it because of, of, of the kids getting a little bit older and um, 
it's no longer just um just doing it for them but yeah you know seeing them be able to do it and i i mean even even the other day uh, i i got to see one of our kids respond in a way that that was very thoughtful when he didn't really need to like hmm. you know and i was just like yeah there, there's something going on that awesome that they are learning those things and um no, I probably not contributed anything specifically to what I did <laughs> earlier that day or the night before, but you know, he's starting to grow up and, and you, and you get to see glimpses of that. And that's kind of exciting to see, which, which encourages yeah. us to be like, okay, I, I still need to come at it from a, a posture of humility and curiosity and being present and being attuned to what's going on and, and to continue to do that because then, once you see a little bit of it happening, when they respond a similar way, that that gets more exciting, and you want to more yeah. of it. And how do we create spaces to be able to do that uh, that we haven't thought about doing before? Yeah, there's definitely a shift. Um, when the kids were little, there was way more of a vertical type of relationship with practice with this. Yeah, and I'm very aware of the the shifting to be more horizontal you know, as they're getting older. And I wasn't sure I would like that, but I'm actually like, like experiencing a lot of joy and seeing them learn how to model, you know, how to practice this themselves, both within and outside of our family. Um, That's yeah. Yeah. Very exciting as a parent when you see that happen. That's That's beautiful. I feel like that's like, I mean, that's the goal, right? The goal is you model these things and you internalize them and then you're able to like gift them to your kids as they grow up. Um, And I just think, it's a really beautiful thing that you've been able to do with your family. And that's a testament, I think, to the work that you've put in, whether or not you used words like connecting practices or not, like it's so much about who you are. Um, I love Mark that you keep bringing up all the other elements and components that have to come into Mm -hmm. it about being present and being attuned. Um, it was so hard even to like come up with the connecting practices. Cause how do you pick, like, how do you pick what to focus on? Um, but, I, but they all work together so seamlessly mm-hmm. in a real moment. It's like sitting at the dinner table and you note, or maybe it wasn't the dinner table, but you noticed your kid that responded thoughtfully because you've been responding thoughtfully and practicing that and noticing it and being present to him and what's going on. And so I just think that's cool. I think a lot of us get so busy with the day-to-day that we just aren't stopping or slowing down enough to even recognize it, like even recognizing those moments. Um, I think back to when I was a teenager and my parents very much like our relationship changed in a good way. Like you're saying, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't, I think a lot of people don't think about that and they maybe continue that. uh, I'm going to get it wrong. Vertical. They continue the vertical Mm -hmm. and trying to maybe like be a little overbearing. So I think it's beautiful to be able to recognize that that's happening and like step into it, maybe a little bit nervously, but like, that's so cool. Cause then your kids are going to have that to fall back on when they're 18 in college and when they're 22 and when they're, you know, doing their jobs and careers and coworkers, and they're going to call you and be like, this person at work blew up in my face. And you're going to be like, yeah, people do that sometimes. Like it's going to be a beautiful, like full circle thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Um, Okay. Last question for us today. Um, Have you, can you think of an example or or have you seen this connecting practice used in uh, film, in literature, like in in a movie or a TV show or a book setting? Um, Is there one that you guys thought of that, uh, that you wanted to share? 
N- no, uh, you know, the short answer is no. And that's probably more. You have different answers. So I'll, I'll preface it to say that. That's more of an indictment of probably what I watch than anything else. Um, you know, when I think about what's in TV, I just like no one practices a pause. No one responds thoughtfully. It's all scripted. And, uh, you know, if they if we actually responded the way the, the way that they do on 30 minute sitcoms, uh, we would be in a world of trouble. Like there'd be a lot of conflict in people's houses. Like we are way more complicated than a 30 minute sitcom. Okay, now I have a very different yeah. response, though. So it was really hard for me to think, OK, well, what is it? I mean, there's lots of good things on TV and and um, movies that that illustrate other other things. Yeah. But. I struggled to think of like what I watch and, but Kelly has different answers. Okay. So the reason I have a different answer is I actually think quite the opposite to say that, like, I think shows set an unfair standard of responding thoughtfully because they're scripted. Yeah. Right. Like there's lots of dramatic pauses (laughs) in shows because someone wrote a script and then 10 people rewrote the script. And so it's all like thoughtful responses. Right. Um, But I can say that I do feel like there are things that I watch that encourage me to respond more thoughtfully. Maybe they're not like modeling this practice perfectly, but I get a sense that while I'm watching it, I am in a better posture. Like I'm set up to be more aware. And when I consider that there is a show that does stick out to me now, perhaps Mark's answer is what it is because he doesn't watch this show with me. Okay. Okay. It's called the midwife. Okay. All right, I, I I have not watched it either. So Mark, my sister okay. loves it. I haven't okay. seen it. But she talks about it a lot. I love the show called The Midwife. Mark is like, oh, spoiler alert, they're having another baby. <laughs> <laughs> so like, he does not enjoy this show the way that I enjoy this show. But it's always crying. There's a lot of crying. Yes, a baby being born. But there's also a lot of very powerful moments in mundane interactions, seemingly mundane. Okay. Like there's there's a lot of caring for people. There's a lot of a slowness of pace of life. There's a lot of paying attention to things that a lot of people may pass by. And when I spend time watching this show, I feel like when I turn the show off, I am more aware of things like that. Yeah. Like it encourages it in me instead of just watching shows that are like entertaining or funny. And, and there's a place for that. Like I enjoy laughing at shows too, but I, I can watch call the midwife and I feel like inspired to be thoughtful, to be like willing to meet people where they are, to slow my own pace down, to, to be aware of my body language. Like I'm, I'm better set up to do that when I watch that show. I love that. Uh, you guys both thought way deeper about this than I did. Um, <laughs> I, uh, but I do. Hey, I, we are thoughtful people. I know. Well, that's, hey, that's why you're here. Um, the, the thing I, I, I do agree though, Kelly, and I find myself, I think at times, um, I definitely am a person. I think that no matter what you're observing or watching or seeing, I always think there's moments you can learn from, or you can kind of pick stuff out. Um, and I love, I kind of think in analogies, that's kind of how my 
my brain always works. Sometimes those analogies have to stretch a little further to work and, you know, they might not always be perfect. Right. Um, and so I always get nervous mentioning any show on here because we have such a wide variety of people who listen that might be anti-listening to anything that's not extremely like tame or if there's profanity in it, there might be anti whatever. So I will just say with the caveat, like I am not wholeheartedly endorsing everything in this show, but, um, but Ted, uh, Ted Lasso is one of my favorite shows. And one of the reasons I love it is that um, there's a, like, it's an unorthodox coach. If you haven't watched the show, um, the character Ted Lasso is Jason Sudeikis, but he's a American football coach that gets hired to go coach a European uh, or a, a premier league soccer team. And so he's over there, um, doesn't understand very much of it at all. Um, but he's using kind of his like, coaching skill and his people skills to like bring the team together and they play better that way. And you know, all that. So there's, there's a few scenes in particular, but there's one where he is just getting, um, he is just getting berated by a former assistant coach and a guy is acting in a way that would make anybody lose their mind and flip. And you can see the wheels turning and he's just trying to figure out like, what is it that has, that has happened? Cause I know I've just treated this guy with, with a ton of love and care. And I do, really respect him and, and think highly of him and he's acting this way. So there's something going on. And so he, you know, kind of stops, tries to stop the team from reacting to this. They're all like wanting revenge and like, let's go get him. Yeah. And so he uh, encourages against it. And, uh, and the re and I won't spoil the show. The reason that he does is, is exactly what we would hope that it's portrayed. Like he's, he knows there's something deeper going on and knows there's a, there's a context there that is um, this guy's working through something. So he's not actually mad at Ted. He's, he's mad at other things that have nothing to do with him. And so, um, and so anyways, it, it's a, it, it's a, there's a lot of really poignant, like great illustrations uh, in the show where, where stuff like that happens. And sometimes um, it is ridiculous and out of hand or whatever, but um I would I would give my loose endorsement to Ted Lasso. <laughs> I do love that. a loose endorsement. I, yeah. I love it, but don't hold it to me if you watch it and you're offended. I I we can still be friends. Okay, so uh, <laughs> all right, I have a I have a caveat. Don't say that I said to watch this show, but I was thinking about this practice and I was really thinking about the communication part of it. And there is a show called Love Is Blind where people meet each other through a wall. They don't see each other. So they talk and they propose to one another without ever seeing each other. Oh and I'm not saying it's a good example of this practice working, but it's a good example of this practice because you see them having to be really, really careful. Mm. Like if someone's crying, how do you convey empathy without giving them a hug? Like, how do you convey that mm. with just your words? And it's interesting because a lot more arguments come up in the second half, which is like they either propose or don't propose. And if they do, they like date each other and get to know each other and a lot of fights come up. And so I was just thinking about that. Like some of it is context, like family things and like life circumstances, but some of it is also body language. Like you can convey certain things through what you say and how you say it, but also your body language is super important. So I'm not saying I'm a little bit on the mark half of like, I don't know that we see it, but I think that we can learn from like, oh, yeah. Yeah. What does communication look like when you're not looking at someone's face and how does it change once they get together? And so anyway, that's my, 
I'm not saying you should watch it. I'm just saying it illustrates the point. Yeah. I didn't even know that show existed. <laughs> yeah. is. I'm not saying watch it, Kelly. <laughs> I'm just saying it exists. Okay. All right. Noted. Noted. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, guys, that I think this is a great note for us to end on. <laughs> Um, thank y'all for, for joining any, any last, uh, encouragement you want to share with somebody maybe who's just starting, um, down this path and, and is, uh, yeah. Anybody just starting down this, this path of parenting, any last minute encouragement as it pertains to this, this practice. I I would say that, um, especially around responding thoughtfully that, um, you're going to get it wrong more than you're going to get it right. Yeah. And, um, you guys are going to talk about, there's another uh, connecting practice out there of repair, reflect, and readjust is, is how to repair after the rupture. It's like yeah. there is always hope to pursue and to and to repair it. Like if you don't get it right, th- there, in in some regards, getting it wrong and then repairing it is better than getting it right the first time. So, yeah, like I I think uh, as hard as it can be, because you know we there's a lot of pressure. I got to say it right. I got to do the right thing. Um, I think there's a lot of grace and hope Yeah. when we do get it wrong, that, yeah. that um, there's ways to restore that and to repair it and, and uh, make it even stronger than it was before. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd like to add to, like, I remember, I think it was you, Becca, that I've heard say that, like, there's a reason why these are called practices. Yeah. I mean, one of that is because they're active. Like they're, they are like things we can do, but it's also because they require a lot of practice. Like this isn't something that just, you you can just turn on, you know, and just start doing. And so I think my advice, like, as you asked JD, my advice to someone who's just trying to explore this and start to think about it would be to practice it with someone who's easy. Like you don't need to practice it with like a, in a relationship that's already like particularly hard or conflicted or something like yeah. it's okay to try to explore and practice this with someone who um, your interactions with are already <clears throat> kind of easy yeah. and try it with them first and ask them, like be willing and unhumble to say like, are, what are you experiencing? Like, how are you experiencing me in this moment? <clears throat> and and use that as an opportunity to learn so that you can apply it in the harder places. Oh, that's really good. That's really good. Guys, thank you all so much for coming um, and being on with us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, Thanks for having thank us. You. Well, a huge thanks to Mark and Kelly uh, for joining us. They, they were great. And um, one thing that I have loved about this summer series um, of, of recording um, these connecting practices is that getting to getting to chat with facilitators who are, uh, you know, quite literally across the globe in, in all different contexts, parenting different age kids from different backgrounds and situations um, at different seasons of life in different geographical locations. One thing that we're finding, and, and I'm sure this comes through as you're listening, is that um, what works is being willing to do the work as a parent. And so if you are willing to um to be curious, if you are willing to dive in and do the work yourself of um, self-examination and reflection and, and work with your parenting partner or your parenting team or, or, or tribe, so to speak, um, this, it shows, it shows. And so um, it is worth it to do the work. It is hard work. Um, but what we are doing, again, is trying to um, connect to the hearts of our kids and um, build 
healthy relationships and healthy frameworks for them to understand how to navigate the world um, in a um, thoughtful, honorable way. And so uh, this has uh, been a fun series so far. We've got uh, one more left in this series. And then we've got a bunch more stuff coming for you this fall. And so uh, for everybody here at Empowered to Connect, for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, and for Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empowered to Connect podcast, I'm J.D. Wilson, and we'll see you next week on the ETC podcast. <laughs>